Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today's episode is brought to you by Bare and Free Natural Deodorant, a pure, clean and highly effective natural deodorant paste that is free of aluminium, parabens and other harsh chemicals. Today I chat with Kit Lachlan, founder of Stretch Therapy. Now I met Kit back in 2013 when I did his stretch therapy workshop and it became very clear to me how, how important stretch therapy is, but not only in the function of our body and movement, but more importantly, how to use stretch therapy to get the best from our bodies. So my pursuit to educate myself further in stretch therapy began. I since have become a stretch therapy teacher through Kit's courses. And each and every time, not only do I learn something new, but I learn the same thing, but see it and practice it and internalize it in a different way. And that has been the most valuable lesson for me. So not only was it exciting to get to chat to Kit, and it's been quite the ongoing joke. Every time I see him, I tell him, you know, I'm going to interview you one day. And each time he goes to me, let's do it. <laughs> so... Finally, it only took a global pandemic, but hey, we're here today and I'm so excited to bring to you this awesome interview with Kit Lachlan. Enjoy. Many people's behavior is 100% reflexive. Which is, oh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's part of the question. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, should, we should get onto your list of questions. Um, but we can keep coming, we can come back to any of these things, but yeah. the real the problem facing everyone today and especially in this time of pandemic is is it possible to to feel happy i'm not talking about happy as a loon kind of happy i mean i mean satisfied or content without being complacent somewhere in that middle ground mm. where you actually where you feel the joy of being alive, if I can put it that way. Now, a lot of people walking around this morning in Greenwell Point, I came across a lot of faces where clearly, even though people are out having their morning walk, quite a few of them, they weren't actually having all that good a time. And the reason is, of course, is everyone is thinking about what's happening in the world. But the fact is, right there in Greenwell Point, right next to the water, um, and it's an exquisite place. It's a truly magnificent wow. place. Anyway, you, you said I'm, I'm getting that. I'm trying to point to what can one do so that one's experience of normal daily life is something that is pleasing. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say stretching is one of those things. <laughs> but, and, and let me, I, I want to explain why, because you, you could be forgiven for thinking that, of course, I would say that because that's what our work is about, but it's not that. 
The thing that is not has not obvious, and it doesn't seem to have struck anyone except a meditation teacher that I work with. When I'm teaching meditation with him, my concentration is on the body work side of it, and his concentration is on the Dharma side of it, the the original sutras and the things that Buddhism is based on. Anyway, the reason I focused on the body in my own practice is simply this: if you are feeling a part of your body, and my favorite part of the body to feel is what's actually happening in my tummy, because it's it's immediately accessible and it, it's, it's directly tangible, but it doesn't really matter which part of the body you use, but that, that's a good one for me. This is not an obvious thing, what I'm about to say, but the sensations in the body exist only in the unfolding present. They're not... Not 30 seconds ago, not 30 seconds into the future, not one second ago, not one second into the future. If you're feeling sensations in your body, at least part of your awareness is located in the unfolding present. And that's always the recommendation made, isn't it? To try and be as present as often as possible. Right. And you can see you can see people when they're not being present, can't you? I mean, <laughs> we call it checking out. You can just you're talking to the person, and all of a sudden the person's just left room. <laughs> oh no, it's just like that. Yeah. Come back, come back. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, as a I, I started learning how to meditate maybe 35 years ago, something like that. But for me, the sudden realization one day that what was actually happening in my body from a sensation perspective, if I if I developed my concentration sufficiently and I could hold my awareness on those sensations I was in the present and as I as that got a bit stronger and I got more skillful at it and it also became more familiar um, I'm I was able to hold myself in that present for longer now in the beginning this is such a crack up in the beginning We'll say to people, okay, just we'll give you a simple exercise to start. Just hold your awareness on five breaths in and out. So you breathe in. That comes to an end and then you start to breathe out. And as you breathe out, you count one. And so at the end of a five or ten minute exercise, we'd say, so what number did you get up to? And most people don't get past two before a thought comes into the mind. And until you practice these things, the thought is so powerful that it it literally takes you over momentarily. But it is possible to hold your awareness on on the sensations in the body of the breath. The breath is accessible to us, available to us at all times, and that's why most of the traditions talk about that as being a very good place to start. And it's what the Tibetan Buddhists that I know call a milk, blood and bone practice, meaning it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner, a baby, or an intermediate or old, ancient in my case, um, it, it is the same practice. You just get better at it, that's all. Well, I mean, maybe I, maybe that's a delusion. Maybe you don't really get better at it. Maybe you're better at convincing yourself that you're better at it. Anyway, and I, I think too, it, it's only... Olivia, Olivia said to me once, it was about two years ago now, we were, we were deciding whether or not we would actually spend some time and work with a particular teacher who was, or maybe it might be three or four years ago now. And 
she had a moment of what I call a moment of perfect clarity. She said, I'm only interested in practices that will make me or help me to become a better human being. I mean, that's such a loaded statement, but it's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it presumes that each person knows what becoming a better human being actually yeah, means and what they feel like. Yeah. And, and I think to, to a large extent, we actually do know that. It's just, it is very similar in my view to the idea of being able to distinguish between right and wrong. The fact is most people can easily distinguish between right and wrong. And that's interesting, don't you think? I mean, what's all that based on? Well, it depends on your culture and a whole bunch of other things. But at the same time, there are also many people who do not find it easy to do the right thing mm-hmm. or the good thing. That's interesting. And then the question of why and so on and so forth. But anyway, look, I no doubt I've sidetracked you hugely. Let us, <laughs> let us, let us get back to your list of questions. I really am interested. Okay, well, let's start, start question number one. Well... This might be a loaded question, but what is stretch therapy? I mean, it's the number question, number one question I get asked from anyone who I talk to about or mention stretch therapy. What is it? Yes. Yeah. It's a good question. And if Liv was sitting here with us, she would just roll her eyes and I'll tell you why. The problem, the reason that we're not wildly successful on YouTube and Vimeo and all the other, and social media, we're not. We are just, we are only very modestly successful, is because we do not have a clear, simple message or marketing brand or any of of those kinds of things. And so we are going through an exercise now. We send out a survey, and I, I presume you got that survey at some point, would have been about six or eight weeks ago where we sent it out and it was a whole bunch of questions about what attracted you to stretch therapy in the first place. What do you know stretch therapy to be? How has it helped you? Blah, blah, blah. The reason it's, it is difficult, so I'm, I'm two minutes into the question and I haven't even attempted to grapple with the question. This is, this is just difficult. And the reason is this. In one sense, stretch therapy is something extremely simple. We have simply rediscovered an approach to body work that no doubt has been discovered in the past a million times, but also forgotten by generations. I remember when I was teaching in a yoga studio once in Berkeley in California, the person who owned the studio said, oh, this is, this is how yoga used to be before group classes were invented. Now, this is a really interesting point. Mr. Iyengar, the Iyengar, the, the, the creator of Iyengar Yoga, he created the group class in yoga. Up until that time, most people are not, or many people are not aware of this, but up until that time, yoga was always taught one-on-one. Right. The guru and the disciple. And that is the way it's been taught in India since the, the days of the Buddha. And yoga was around before the Buddha. So that's well over two and a half thousand years ago. That's interesting. Once the group class started, a whole another set of skills is required by the teacher because instead of just concentrating on one person, all of a sudden, if you're trying to be a good teacher, you're actually having to divide your awareness and you have to constantly be checking around the room. I think a mark of a good teacher is someone who can teach 20 or 25 people at once. And we, are, we usually recommend to our trainee teachers that they start with smaller numbers in the beginning because it's overwhelming or else you'll think you're doing a great job and you've just ignored the person you secretly don't like 
and everyone's got their favorites in a group and the people you don't like so on that note you'll notice and you you've you, you've done plenty of workshops with me so you know this is true i make sure that i go around and work with everyone every day on the workshop now that's a that's a choice it's a discipline it's because i'm the same as everyone else there are people that i'm attracted to and people i'm not attracted to and that is that same division distinction thing that I was talking about before. But we don't want that. Not in the class teaching situation. We have to, we have to step up. We have to be better than our reflexive behavior suggests we should be, in my view anyway. So that means a simple decision. I will work with each person in the room every day. Even if it's only for a few minutes. It makes all the difference. And you'll see that all of our good teachers, they teach exactly the same way. They get up off the mat. They're not just lecturing, teaching from a fixed position. They get up off the mat while people are in a, say, a long exercise, something that might require, with doing both sides, it might require five, six or seven minutes to complete. Um, here's a typical one, like a hamstring stretch, or maybe you're doing pancake prep or something like that. That's going to take you at least that amount of time. That's the opportunity where the good teacher gets up off the mat and works with two people, perhaps, during that seven-minute spot and on that goes anyway so to answer your question what is stretch therapy stretch therapy is simply a particular approach to body work at all now when i say body work what do i mean well stretch therapy actually encompasses strengthening techniques as well as stretching as you know but we decided we made a, a frankly marketing decision some time ago to only concentrate on the stretching part because we thought that was going to be an easier thing to position ourselves in the market via. But the fact is the system is a stretching system. So if you want to improve your range of movement, it will make you more flexible. But in our opinion, that's the least important part of it. The second aspect of it is that there, we have a huge number of strengthening techniques. We also have a huge number of repatterning techniques. And when I say repatterning, I mean, we can take someone who can't move very well and help them to move extremely well over a period of time. So around here, for example, people don't believe I'm 67. I live in Greenwell Point and we, we move around people all the time. And we came across a friend of ours the other day who, he said, I've been meaning to ask you, I've been meaning to ask you for some time, how old are you? And Liv said, he'll be 67 in a couple of weeks time. And he, his jaw just dropped. And he said, I don't believe you. Why are you telling me that? What do you do with that? Anyway, and the, re and the reason is, just going back to the, what I was talking about when we first started talking about making a distinction. If you're, let's say, standing on a road that's a, that's a kilometre long and you can actually see down this road and the human being pops into your view, what's the first thing you notice about that person? The first thing you notice is you get an impression of their age, isn't, isn't it? Or could be male or female. Yes. Those two things very closely. Now, they are two primary distinctions, don't you think? And that's interesting. And they're all motivated, as I said before, quoting the great G. Spencer Brown. So how do we know how old someone is when they're half a kilometre from us and we can't see their face or any details at all, but we can see that that's a human being walking towards us say Posture. not just that how they move yes how they move even in stillness 
there's a posture as, as you say but when people are moving and our brains are well pattern seeking organisms that's what human beings are actually best and sometimes they make connections in those patterns that don't actually exist too but that's another another conversation we have many many channels that are open in us all the time and the the five senses or buddhism also talks about the mind as the sixth sense they, they organize their understanding of how we see and how we smell and how we hear quite differently to western science talk about that another time too but they're they're not the only senses that we have when you're standing in front of someone for example you know exactly how they're feeling don't you not just from the expression on their face the way they're holding themselves is this person happy or sad is this person tense are they about to take a step forward and whack me are they angry now we know all those things from we call it body language but it's many many channels open at the same time and yes we we apprehend body language visually of course but it's more than visual isn't it many people many people um, even if they can't actually see the person can feel that person and certainly in an intimate situation in an intimate situation that's obviously the case so the, anyway we have all these channels that are available to us all the time but if we are only interacting with the channel that's dialed in between our ears there yeah. are so many things that we can miss yeah, that's anyway right. and misconstrue so, as well we can convince ourselves of, of something that we see but actually really isn't it's not real that's normal mm. when i say normal i mean normal in the statistical sense that would be more common than not common yeah i think yeah. to see we well it really goes back to again comes back to uh, we will be talking about g spencer brown quite a bit today i can see it comes back to those first distinctions but somebody says something and already as you're listening to it you're already deciding which bits of it go into the good basket and which bits go into the bad basket, right? Or the like or dislike or whatever the two-part system is that we use. And it's been argued that the reason why we developed this simple system, and sometimes it's not just simple, it's simplistic, it's too simple. The reason we developed that is simply evolutionary survival. For example, if you suddenly become aware that something is running towards you and it looks dangerous, you don't want to think about it. You don't want to analyze it. You just have to run. So that's a purely reflexive response, right? You don't think about that. But once we've taken care of, let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy briefly. Once we've taken care of the shelter dimension and the we have enough food to eat and enough to drink, then in my view, at least anyway, we need to move beyond the reflexive mode of behavior into something else and then we ask ourselves what that might look like would it be more interesting anyway getting back to the stretch therapy question stretch therapy is is an approach to body work where the primary focus in the body work is you put yourself into a position or you do a particular movement or something like that and you're constantly asking yourself how does that feel this is the unique and distinguishing characteristic of stretch therapy of course all schools of body work do at some point talk about how does that feel but we make ours the primary focus here's how here's how i used to begin a, a beginner's class i would say I'd look around the room make sure i had eye contact with literally everyone in the room and i'd say 
I will have absolutely no sympathy for anyone who hurts themselves in class. I know. <laughs> I've been to a class. And it, it, sounds, it, does, it does sound like a, con, a confronting and, and a kind of a horrible thing to say, but then I go on to say... It does, but it also brings back accountability. We're, we're like, oh, that's right. I'm in charge of my own body here. <laughs> well, more than that. It doesn't matter how experienced the teacher is. And we have worked, we have both worked with some very experienced teachers. The reality, the reality is no one can see inside your body. Exactly. It doesn't matter how experienced the teacher is. The extent to which we can get a sense of how you're doing or how you're coping with anything is only by, it's by inference and it's by, you know, assessing those clues that we were talking about before, the body language and everything else. So right from the very first class, we say, and we do flesh this out a bit, we say, look, the reason we're not going to have any sympathy for you if you hurt yourself is because we are putting you in charge of your own body right now. Now, if that is not, if you're not happy with that, perhaps you should think about leaving. Now, no one ever leaves. But in my opinion, we need to bring our students to that point of decision and that point of focus. Yeah. And then we say, and so... When you're moving, let's say we're doing a hamstring stretch, everyone's sort of archetypal flexibility exercise. When you're moving into a hamstring stretch, your awareness, in my view at least anyway, should not be on the person next to you to see how flexible they are in comparison to you. That's right, all that. Um, and certainly not on showing off your own flexibility, which is something that a lot of flexible teachers do, unfortunately, make the mistake, in, at least in my view, of doing. No, rather, your awareness is completely on the slow extension of whatever limb you're using. I mean, maybe you're doing a bend to straight leg hamstring stretch or maybe you're doing a bending over straight legs hamstring stretch, lots of them. You are feeling the full suite of sensations that comes from getting yourself into that position. And moreover, you're doing it at a speed and it's always slower than what people want to do it at, naturally. Naturally. Because I'm in a hurry. I want to get to the end of the class. I've got things I need to do. You know, all the different things that, that go on in people's minds that make them rush through everything. And what a waste of, what a waste of this life to yeah. rush through everything. Amazing. And, and again, another topic of conversation perhaps for later. So you're in this position and you're feeling the limbs extending and you're so in tune with what's actually happening in your body that you actually feel all the things that are happening. When you're that present in your body, you cannot hurt yourself. Yes. Why? Because discomfort, pain, strong sensation that it's not experienced as pleasurable will occur way before injury will occur. That's all. So it's as simple as that. And, and but, but there's more. The closer you pay attention to this constellation of sensations as you're working with your own body, the more closely you get to know this substance, this thing that you live in, which for most, not most people, I, I use that expression too often, many people experience their body as an impediment mm. or a limitation or in, even in some schools, something to transcend or our view of the stretch therapy perspective and not just the stretch therapy perspective is that this is where meditation happens it happens in a body 
this is where pleasure is experienced. It happens in a body. This is what's walking and talking in space and time right now. So it, we would say my background is logic that I'm a philosopher by training and that's what I did my masters and PhD research in. We would say this is non-trivial. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that a great expression? <laughs> Yeah, so pay attention. Anyway, so that's what stretch therapy is. And also, too, there are a couple of other things about it that, that are the easier things to explain. Stretch therapy also has... I'll take a step back. There is a book that people have heard of, but very few people have actually read, called Proprioceptive Neuromuscular Facilitation. It was written back in 1953, the year that I was born. That was when it was published, I think. And it was three nurses wrote it, and they were part of something called the Kabat Kaiser Institute, which is an institute set up to help the cerebrally and spinally injured patients regain uh, lost patterns of movement. So, a typical one, for example, someone who's had a brain injury or someone's had a car accident may not be able to easily roll over onto one side and then push themselves up in a sitting position and then get up, for example. That's a classic PNF. PNF spiral diagonal technique and the whole textbook was originally written as a series of patterns for nurses to work their patients through it was a workbook that's what it's for and yet everyone's heard of what they call the PNF technique in stretching there was nothing about stretching in that book there's a small paragraph on page 98 from memory where the authors spoke about five techniques they used to help patients restore range of movement but there was literally no detail there was just the five names agonist antagonist contract relax hold relax something else something else and so i took one of those fragments in fact we changed something they called hold relax and we called it contract relax because it's a much better description of what actually happens when you do it we took that fragment um, and this is what i was doing when i was living in japan i i took that fragment and i applied it to all of mr Ayenga's fundamental poses to see how that applying force in the opposite direction to the stretch could aid the position and the feeling and the sensation in the pose and whether or not one could go a bit further into it. We found that that was very effective, but in the last five or 10 years or so, we've gone back to the original textbook and we've started adding some of the other things too done in particular ways. And of course they all are effective. And the most important reflex, the neurological reflex that we use and we always have in, in stretch therapy is called the reciprocal inhibition reflex. And I know you understand what that means, but let me just briefly describe it um, to your listeners. The classic description of how this works, is, in my view, is not terribly helpful. It doesn't really give people a handle on it. The typical... The typical um, explanation is something like if you want to punch or throw an arm out the bicep muscle has to relax as the tricep contracts and that's what propels the fist away from the shoulder but it's it's much much more than that in stretching for example this is this is where you, people might be able to get a real feeling for it if you're doing the lunge bent limb hamstring for example where you're in a lunge position you've got your chest resting on your thigh and let's say the foot is underneath the knee you're in the beginning position and then you slowly use that quadricep to push that foot away from you 
right? So opening out the knee angle. If you use the quadricep to open out the knee, when quadriceps are contracting, the hamstrings are inhibited. And when you are in close enough contact with what's going on inside your body, you can feel that vividly. Now, a beginner can't feel it. And so that's why I said before, I, or at least I touched on this, that this approach, the stretch therapy approach, is the most extraordinarily responsive way of trying to work out the actual nature of this thing you live in. It's incredibly powerful, but it, it's not very sexy. I, how do you explain that briefly? I'm damned if I know. We haven't been able to do it anyway so far, but we're working on it. And that's what, I, that's what draws me to it. It's why I love stretch therapy so much. And it's not because we're just getting together or, or getting into a stretch. There's so many different aspects to it. And I love, I love the strength aspect to yes. stretch therapy. Um, it's, it's probably it's what has helped me the most as well. Um, so I, I, I love all this. And, and me too. Yeah. Can I, I've, just, I've just thought of something. I know I'm interrupting you. Stretch therapy enriches the flavour of your life. <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's really what it does. But how do you... It's not an easy sell, is it? <laughs> I, that's really what it's doing. I mean, the, the, the experience of, of being you is a particular suite of sensations in the body which, you, which are you. Now, I don't know what that is, and you have no idea what it's like to live in my body either, of course. But each of us certainly can say with accuracy, I'm feeling better today or I'm not feeling as good today. We are so clear in our experience of that. How did you sleep last night, darling? Oh, terrible. You know what I mean? It's that sort of daily life conversation. But that begs the question of how do we know how we feel? Well, stretch therapy, in my view, is the, the most practical method to refine the experience or the feeling of being you. And it starts, as you know, because I wrote the book Overcome Neck and Back Pain. That was my first book. It starts with, oh, goodness. It, <laughs> it, starts with, it starts with, okay, I know I'm not feeling good because this is hurting or that's hurting or when, or when I bend down to try and pick up something off the floor, my back goes into spasm or the 10,000 other answers that one could have to that question of how do you feel today? So for us... Again, this is a stretch therapy perspective. We begin at the rehab end, if you like, of body work. And we say, well, what's sore? What's hurting? What can't you move? Can you squat down? Can you reach up to a high shelf? Can you reach your arm above your head like this in line with your spine? Is that something that's easy to do or not? Or where are you on that range? And how do we improve that? Because the result is, we have found, you improve the range of movement up to, let's call it the theoretical limits of the joints. We don't want to be able to poke our arms straight back behind us because the body just doesn't work that way. But, but it does work this way. This is one of the fundamental movements of the arm in the shoulder joint. Up to the point of achieving that full range of movement, every increment of improvement is regarded as a benefit by the person who has that body 
And we didn't have to convince people of that. We give them one exercise to do and immediately we're saying, well, how did that feel? And there's only three possible answers. It feels worse, no change, or it feels better. There's really no alternative to that. So that's how we begin our first class. Yeah. And that approach keeps going forever. Where does stretch therapy come into play for um, athletes, runners, performance? People, running is something I have to know. It's almost like athletes are scared of stretching. It's like, oh, well, it's going to make going to make me weaker i don't need that much flexibility i'm not going to get enough power or there's just always controversial to say stretch i have read all of that appalling research by the way you touched on three different studies then in that in your classic someone's reaction to stretching firstly no one who teaches stretching has ever recommended doing a strong contraction stretch before trying to you know lift a weight off the ground or to demonstrate, you know, how high you can jump or any of those things. No one has ever recommended that. So in philosophy, we call that a straw man. And this is how this goes. When someone sets up a ludicrous situation and tests that and find that the, that the result is X or Y, it's a straw man because no one ever suggested doing that in the first place. Yeah. What we talk about when we talk about improving range of movement, we're not talking about improving range of movement right now, although that happens. What we're talking about is what will your range of movement look like in three months or six months' time? Not at the same time as you're trying to lift your heaviest weights off the ground, but rather, will my mobility, can I squat better if my ankles are looser, for example? In the Olympic lifting, I used to be an Olympic lifter and I've also run competitively as well at different times in my life. Um, all of these things are true. If you improve your ankle flexibility, it'll improve your squat position enormously, but it will not do it immediately but you'll feel and see those improvements as you go. So getting back to the runner example, that particular piece of research that the runners rely on to not stretch um, by was just one of the most terrible pieces of research that's ever been done. I, I won't go into the details because it'd probably be scurrilous and scandalous. But anyway, um, the, the, all one needs to say to a runner who's contemplating doing stretching is, well, where are you tight and sore now? Where are you stiff? what doesn't feel good here's another word picture that'll make this point i hope let's say you're lying face down on a massage table and you're being massaged and the person is running their hands up and down one side of your spine and you just feel like a cat purring you can just you can feel it can't you mm, that just feels so good but then they move a quarter of an inch and they come across something that it makes you just jump like that. Oh, what was that? All of the off spots in your body are just those places you can't voluntarily relax. That's all. Nothing more than that. And so when you get a runner on the table, for example, you just know where they're going to be tight. Their calf muscles are going to be tight. Yes. Things possibly, glutes maybe, back muscles definitely, especially if they're quad dominant and so on and on it goes. And so... The short answer to whether or not runners can benefit from stretching is found not in their running performance directly necessarily, although eventually yes, but rather how do you feel when you're running? Is running a pleasurable activity for you or does something, is something hurting? Now, if, if, something, if, if nothing is hurting, then we could argue 
and there is research on this, we could argue that loosening your hip flexors will actually improve the speed that you can run over the ground. It will. Why? Because every time the leg is, every time you're kicking off, and this is more important for sprinters, but it's true for all runners because it's about how much energy you have in your body to do the distance that you're running and how much energy is taken out of the body by each stride. And so, and this is just orthodoxy in, in running in the running world now. What we're what people are trying to find is their most efficient way of running. But no one ever thinks about loosening restrictions as one of the gateways to efficiency, but absolutely and unquestionably it is. There's a, f a famous picture of the great sprinter Michael Jordan. That is his name, I think, isn't it? Uh, the Johnson? Black American guy. Hmm? Johnson? Johnson, thank you. Jordan was the basketballer. Johnson. <laughs> Now he, there is a famous picture of him, if you just look him up, if your listeners look him up, there is a classic photograph of him in mid-sprint wearing those gold shoes that he ran in that particular Olympics in. And his back leg, firstly his spine is straight, his body is completely upright, his lumbar spine is not extended, just a, just a very gentle normal lumbar, or less than normal lumbar lordosis, but his back leg is about 40 degrees in extension and he's completely off the ground. Is running flat out, world record speed. But here's the thing, the average person who can't get anywhere near that kind of speed cannot get their back leg into 10 degrees of extension, let alone 40. And he was doing it by his own physical power. Yeah. That's an extraordinary achievement. But people look at that photograph, they don't see that dimension of that photograph. But if you look him up, he was a master stylist as a sprinter. And he was the most efficient sprinter of his day. Yeah. That's why he was the world record holder. Anyway, so that's something you could perhaps... <laughs> Actually, when people say, well, why should I stretch? I always respond, well, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> that's right. You're there's, there's absolutely no reason why you should stretch. Yeah, yeah. But it and brings then, awareness into our bodies and that's the most powerful... Thing we could it, ever have. it brings awareness firstly and then as that awareness as that experience of your experience of yourself is refined contentment and happiness naturally manifest yeah that's right it's just like a massage i mean it's so yeah. often we'll get people on the table and like oh i didn't know that was tired <laughs> that was sore and it's not until you're you're getting that work that you're bringing that awareness it's just like with stretching you're not aware yeah. of what is tight restricted or doesn't move so well you might have the range but it might not be as smooth or graceful in that range and you don't know yeah, that until you take yourself through the movement very gently yes gently and pausing and feeling what yes. that feels like yeah. and when asking yourself the next question which is, can I let my tummy go completely soft? And that's a really deep oh, question. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the six-pack, the fabled six-pack, um, often spoken about, seldom seen, apart from bodybuilders. Actually, six-pack's all about body fat, as you know. It's got nothing yes. to do. Every 12-year-old every kid Every 12-year-old boy has a six-pack. Well, actually, these days, that's maybe not so true. Um, but certainly when I was growing up, we were all skinny, relatively speaking. 
um, we all had six packs. I've got a photograph of me when I was doing rock climbing in Japan where I was just dressed in a pair of tights. And that's when my six pack looked the most spectacular. <laughs> I was about 35 then, I think. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, but the deeper, point, the deeper point that you point to, though, is, and this plays into a, an aspect of existence that I haven't spoken about yet, and that is most people are protecting themselves. Yeah. Their abdominal area is held tight against some unnamed, unrecognized, it's almost like a, a, a small amount of dread. I feel, I experience my life as being potentially dangerous. I feel that I need to protect myself against imagined or not able to be imagined threats. And in fact, when people are stretching, you know this is true already, what stops you going past a certain point is your body reacts. Yeah. Your body sends that signal to you that says that's far enough. And that is 100% the protective reflex at work. And so when we talk about fight or flight, which is the suite of, of reactions that human beings have managed to manifest the most spectacularly on the planet, which is why we're the dominant species now and why we're ruining the planet at the same time, same reasons, is that that whole, that fight or flight, that whole suite of corticosteroid secretions that the adrenal glands flood the bloodstream with when we're under pressure, under stress, under threat, every cell in your body is wired with that same protective mechanism. And that's we, so when we, I'm talking about six different things here, I realize, but when we become more flexible, it is not, we think, that anything in the muscles has actually changed. It is we have learned to dialogue with that part of ourself which wants to protect everything instinctively because of this threat or however it's, however it's thought about. Yeah, But when you become more flexible, you will especially if you're stretching the way we recommend, which is slower than how most people go into their stretching positions, you come up against that sensation and you train yourself to actually relax in the presence of that sensation. And two things happen. One is the point in the range of movement where that sensation is experienced goes back a bit. And secondly, you're learning how to experience yourself without that reflexive response and you are in a very deep way you're really getting to know yourself you're learning about you hey hey i hope you're enjoying today's episode which is brought to you by bare and free natural deodorant a pure and clean highly effective natural deodorant paste that is free from aluminium parabens and other harsh chemicals Bare and Free will nourish, protect, and keep your underarms odor-free for up to 12 hours. Now, I can attest to this because I am fairly active and I need something that's going to keep me stink-free. And this, my friends, does it for you. So I've been looking for a natural deodorant for a long time now and this one is the only one that really stands the test of time. And I mean like gym time, running time, hot yoga time. So it is the bomb. Bare and free natural deodorant works. 
It's such an interesting thing. Uh, relaxing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people speak about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very easy to say to relax. So it's very easy to want to relax. But I mean, even still, like so often, again, in massage, obviously, that's, that's what I do. That's what I know. And, um, you know, we'll be working with someone. And for example, it, it might just be we're working through the neck, which is the most beautiful experience. It's so lovely. And yet you can see them either eyes are wide open and they're holding their, like, hands are by their sides. But <laughs> like even in a position or in a state um, where they know they're safe, can still be holding this tension without even realising. So how does one know how to relax or even if they are, they, they think they're relaxing but actually not? <laughs> how does one, um, yeah, become aware of that? Well, the classic reaction when you tell someone to relax is, what do you mean? I am relaxed. <laughs> exactly. That's right. What do you mean I'm not relaxed? <laughs> Exactly, completely fear-based and, and also a, a recoiling. Have you noticed that when people say, what do you mean, I am relaxed, they never move towards you, they're always moving away from you? It's a threat. Anyway, you asked the question. Um, well, getting, getting, a good, getting massaged by someone who really has good hands is an, a superb way of learning what that feels like. Um, now, I've never had a massage from you, but I... But <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, I'm a bit far away for that, but I'm certain that you're good at it. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is that I have had, unlike many people, I have had massage treatments from probably more than 300 people around the world at different times. And here's a little thought experiment for your listeners as well. Is it not the case that the moment that therapist touches you, you know whether the massage is going to be any good or not? Mm. Now, the interesting question surely is how do you know that? And this is the very heart of what I'm talking about. The person who lays their hands on you, who lays a questioning hand on you, immediately the body speaks to that other person. The body can relax underneath that touch when someone imposes a yep. touch on you, the body protectively recoils. So I'm, I'm, they're the two sort of crude, crudely drawn ends of that spectrum. But what we have noticed is that many practitioners, when they come to stretch therapy workshops, are actually not very good at handling other people's bodies. We have to teach them. We have to teach massage therapists how to handle other people's bodies gently. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah, absolutely. It's very common. Anyway, so getting back to your question. I'd just like to say you've never approached me in that, that way, so I feel like I'm on the right track. <laughs> yes, you are on the right track, I'm sure of it. And also, too, the, the fact that you teach stretching and that you practice stretching yourself also improves the quality of your touch. See, ours is a system where 
you absolutely have to be a practitioner. You can't just be a theoretician. You can't just know about stretching and teach it. Although you can, if you know it well enough, you certainly can teach it. I could teach it from a wheelchair, for example, if I, if I ever got paralyzed. Now I could do that. And I would be able to teach effectively. One of our teachers, in fact, in Canberra, had a, a heart valve replacement, the same one that Arnold Schwarzenegger had. Um, I can't remember, he had one of his valves replaced. And it was an open heart surgery. And so Pierre, his name is, he won't mind me talking about this. He worked from a chair for the next six months before he could actually stretch himself. And he's he, just as effective as normal yeah. because he had the experience. So now I'm going to get back to answering the question that you asked before is how can people learn to be relaxed or how can people know they are relaxed or not? I would argue that unless you have had the experience of being deeply relaxed and you were aware of what that felt like when you were deeply relaxed, you will never be able to relax. Yeah. You will say to yourself, I am relaxed and you will mean it as a concept. You, you can engage with that, but here's the acid test. And I know you, I think you have felt my body before how remarkably soft it is, even though I'm really strong, it's yeah. soft all the time. Even my neck muscles are soft. My back muscles are soft when I'm standing. I have, learned to relax it certainly wasn't a natural thing for me and that's why my practice i did once when i was on retreat in new mexico for six months i practiced only lying relaxation practice and breath counting that's all i did i did five or six sessions a day along with my seated meditation as well which is a different practice and that changed my body completely. Some, something was reset in my body and my body was always soft after that. It didn't change how much force I could apply or how big or small my muscles were, any of those kinds of things. But my muscles, when I'm not using them, are soft. You can poke your fingers into them. Yeah. That's unusual. You just, human beings are not like that normally. No. Although I did, hear, I did hear of a sprinter, an AIS sprinter, who was supposed to have traps that were like, um, just completely soft and buttery. I never met the guy myself. I really wanted to feel those traps because I've never met anybody with traps that are that soft. Anyway, so here's the thing. When you practice relaxing enough, then you know how it feels. And, and this is the paradoxical part of it, which I haven't heard anyone else talk about. Probably someone has. When you are deeply relaxed or when you're relaxed as a person, when it's your standard way of being in the world, unlike many people, as you become tenser, you notice it immediately. You notice it. And just see what I did with my shoulder then? You let the shoulder go down. That's in your awareness. Mm -hmm. So when you say to someone, relax, and they say, oh, I am relaxed. <laughs> That's the antithesis of that. The, the person who believes themselves to be relaxed, but when you press them or poke them, they're as hard as a rock. Well, firstly, though, well, not firstly, those people are going to have a very hard time learning how to stretch because the new directions that we give these days, and this is something we've really brought out of my relaxation and meditation practice into mainstream stretch therapy. After we've done a contraction now, we always say, take in a breath, and as you breathe out, let your tummy go soft, which means you have to let your awareness go into your tummy to feel that because you don't know whether it's soft or not. Mm -hmm. Then take in another breath. And as you breathe out, 
in brackets the second time, then you move a bit more deeply into the stretch. So it's a two-part relaxation process now. And that, for some people, it's, it is a complete revelation. It has completely changed their practice. Other people who are naturally more towards the relaxed end of the spectrum, the difference, of course, as you can imagine, would not be anywhere near as great. But if someone's instinct or way of being in the world is fundamentally to protect themselves most or all of the time, letting the tummy go soft will never occur to them. It will never occur to them. They'll say, I am relaxed. I've gone as far as I can in this stretch. So on a workshop, I'll come along, put one hand on their back so they can feel I'm not assaulting them or anything, and then reach a hand and feel their tummy and say, let your, just let your tummy relax against my hand. The tummy goes soft. Take in another breath and now see if you can go a bit further. They always can go further. Yeah. But that... One thing is to hear the word relax. Another thing is to hear the word let your tummy go soft. Mm -hmm. It's quite a different thing to actually let your tummy go soft. But if your tummy has not relaxed, you're not relaxed. That's all. Uh, now, it's, it's so simple, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> when, it's, when it's put that way, it's so simple, but it's not obvious. Yeah, I've heard you say in uh, another interview uh, when doing stretch therapy um, or anything actually is to play the edge. What does this mean? Well, I, I was thinking about whether or not I would talk about this this morning <laughs> when I was talking. Oh, yes. But the, the metaphor that I use for playing the edge is a bit pithy and I'm just not sure that you're, and it's a bit crude, I'm just not sure that your, your listeners would like it. So I'll try and reframe it a different way. You know the, the ancient Greek myth of Odysseus? That'll be somewhere close to your forebears' home. Uh, Odysseus was at one stage between Scylla and Charybdis. He was caught between Scylla and Charybdis. So caught between two disastrous outcomes. One was, a, I think, a whirlpool that sucked him down into the centre of the earth if he went too far that way, and I can't remember what the other one was. If you're really paying attention to this life, that's what it's like. You are constantly between Scylla and Charybdis. But... We, but, we, but everyone falls asleep, myself too. We fall asleep and so we don't actually notice the edge that we're on. So we could say, to put it in, say, let's, let's, we could say we're playing the edge between what is known and what is unknown. Or we're playing the edge between organization and chaos. Actually, that's really what our life is, as recent events have shown us so indelibly. All the things that we take for granted, actually none of those things is fixed, but we treat them as though they are. And we'll externalise something like the economy as though somehow the economy as a concept is more important than the individuals who make it up. That's, that is our culture. That's what we value. We don't value the environment. We certainly... We can't afford to count climate change. We can't afford to take that seriously. That's what our 
that's what our the thinkers or the or the politicians at least anyway will tell us anyway there's there's so much to unpack there but playing the edge if we consider it purely in stretching terms is how much is too much yeah how much is enough we want to be in the space between enough and too much and to know vividly and accurately what that feels like at all times so not just when we're stretching stretching just a metaphor for a larger practice of being aware the practice of being aware yes so for the stretching audience i'd say playing the edges not going too far knowing exactly how far too far is being familiar with it but not frightened by it but also you have to work hard enough that's what i mean by enough and too much yes i mean if you just if you i guarantee if you think about stretching and you're just relaxing on the couch while you think about stretching that will not improve your hamstring length at all nothing will happen but for many people i don't know what proportion a lot of people would rather engage with the idea of something than the thing itself i i personally like to engage with the thing itself if possible anyway i don't know whether that's a good answer to your question or not so let's talk about the physiology for a second sure. in terms of when we stretch the muscles are easier to stretch than say tendons and joints and in terms of your the strength work that goes into stretch therapy as well. Um, how do we how do we build up the resilience in those tenderness areas? Because I mean that's what we need to do. Muscles will always respond much quicker to those that stimulus and whatnot. So how do we how do we balance that without? I mean I know you've just said the you know play the edge is always knowing that balance. I guess now when we are stretching, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the muscular side of things and, and tendons. How do we know what that edge is if a part of our body can take more than, say, the other, another part? If that makes sense. Well, two things occur to me immediately. The first is that unlike any other form of stretching that I know of, stretch therapy actively uses contractions at the end of the range of movement in all exercises now what do i mean by that well when we're practicing when i'm practicing side splits for example i let my feet slide apart as far as they can i've got my feet rooted on the ground and on a relatively slippery surface i let myself go down until i've gone far enough for that particular moment and i hold myself there same with front splits. I hold myself there. What's that doing? It's an isometric contraction and I'm holding up my whole body's weight, my adductors. That's what's doing the work. I'm not using my hands or a chair or something else. That's emblematic of this approach. The point being that you can make your body phenomenally strong without using any equipment whatsoever. If you understand how to work levers and exactly the same as gymnastic strength training exactly the same and so the point that you made about muscles reacting the fastest well the, the brain the neural system reacts the fastest and muscles are the 
the handmaidens or the children of the brain in this in this sense that they react they react in the moment instantly so that's really a neural phenomenon right but they also get stronger much quicker than tendons and ligaments yes. much quicker and so when people hurt themselves and this will, you see this happening in a beginning intermediate strength training student and and i should say on that note any routine any strengthening routine will make any beginner stronger it's when they reach their first plateau is where you understand the sophistication or not of the system that's being used because you have to change something anyway the short answer to your question is we need to build periodicity in fact that was a book a book called periodicity it was written by a guy called tudor bumper eastern european guy but basically periodicity is very very simple you cycle all of your maximum efforts you cycle them so here's, here's an example from the stretching world i used to live with a dancer and i observed because i would work out with her with her fellow dancers, I would say to them, I haven't seen you do side splits for a couple of days. Why not? Why aren't you doing side splits? I mean, some people are more flexible than others and some people would just move through side splits while they're rolling around on the floor and then tell you how stiff they're feeling that day. That's a typical dancer. But, but so this person wasn't like that. Her, her flexibility was rather more earned than natural in her case. And she said, because I did a very strong, um, side split stretch let's say three or four days ago and i know that if i do that strong stretch again it's not going to be productive this time because i'm still a bit sore from it so that's that's the one answer so you cycle things you don't do maximum stretches or maximum strength work or maximum anything all the time this is another way of understanding playing the edge too of course basically tendons and ligaments have about one tenth the nutrient supply of muscles roughly that means they need a significant period of conditioning in order to make that jump to the next level. And this is where gymnastic strength training is, is I think, at its best. And they exemplify the concept of periodicity, which means that depending on what strength move we're talking about or in our world, it might be what flexibility move you're talking about, you don't try to do it better or deeper or harder each time you do it. Rather, you work within that too much enough space and you vary it where so for example yesterday i was doing some deadlifts on the on the deck outside my approach to the deadlifting i just i just leave a weight on the bar and i leave it there i don't have a warm-up for any of the things that i do as i think you might recall from us talking about this once before but i'll walk by that bar and it will it will talk to me and i'll just ignore it I'll walk by another time and I'll ignore it. Then, then, when I feel like it, I go over and I'll just do three reps or five reps or as many as I feel like doing on a day. One day when I pick it up, it'll feel like I can do more than another day, like you were talking about, stretching. And so I might crank out eight or ten reps with the weight that's on the bar. But two or three days ago, I went past the bar and three reps was all I could do. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't upset with myself because I didn't do as many as I did the week before that was that day so when you when you're experienced enough in your practice and this goes for all aspects of practice i don't want to sound as though this is just something one does instinctively but actually that is the short answer your body in 
the act of doing whatever practice it is that you're doing will tell you how much or how little it wants to do or needs to do. Now, to someone who's never done any stretching before or hasn't done any strength training before, that will sound like complete gobbledygook. But I assure you, it is accurate. And so, getting back to an earlier thread in our conversation, the real deep reason for stretching or to learning to stretch the way we recommend you do it is to start a dialogue with this thing that you live in that you don't know, but is actually which is running the show. The body will always win. You cannot make the body do anything it doesn't want to do. It's like herding cats. It cannot be done. But there's the fiction that we can make ourselves do X or Y. And we can up to a point until the body says no further. That's true of everything. I don't know if you have an answer to this. We'll ask it anyway. So what what would you say to the athlete who has an expectation and has an event and it doesn't matter how their body is feeling for that in that moment or on that day, they still have uh, an expectation that they need to meet. How do you then approach your own body knowing you have to perform a certain way? I'll, I'll, I'm speaking as an ex-athlete now, so I'll, yes. I'll, answer, I'll, I'll answer that as two different right. ways. First, the first way is my friend Linda in Canada, she would say, how's that working for you? Meaning it's not working for you, is it? <laughs> right? And so, and so, but as an athlete, I mean, I think one of the problems that we have in thinking about these things is we just associate athleticism with health and being good for the body but as the reports from female gymnastics over the last 10 years has shown um, the reports from elite sports of all different kinds the pursuit of health is not what sports are about they're about winning and so my coach could never understand he said you're a lazy trainer he said you just don't put in do you and i said there's no point i can't make myself do it unless it's important to me and he'd just shake his head and walk away muttering but on race day i performed extremely well and always better than he's his curves and calculations had shown from my training times always and so this complete, this non-plus him. And so the, the point of mentioning this is to say the, the athlete who is competing in an event has made the achievement of that goal the most important thing in their life. Mm-hmm. And so the body is sacrificed to some extent in the pursuit of that goal and, and, and for the people whose bodies break down on them, which is quite common in all different sports, that is a consequence of not listening to what the body is telling you. Or it may be um, unwise training protocols, which has you doing too much too soon or not enough conditioning, as you were talking about. The tendons and ligaments are not yet sufficiently conditioned. Look, I'll just go back to men's gymnastics for a moment. I was working in a facility in Arizona once, probably five years ago, and there was a 16-year-old boy there doing work on a horizontal bar. And he was watching this boy's movements on the bar and he said, I have 16,000 hours of training in that boy. 
Now here's the thing, someone who as an adult who wants to take up recreational gymnastic strength training, the reason why injuries are so common in strength training if you, if you take it up as an adult is that your body is not like that young gymnast who has done 16,000 hours of training. Now you might say, and the gymnasts certainly, they don't train at high intensity all the time at all. In fact, a huge fraction of their work is exactly what you were talking about, the conditioning aspect but they don't see it like that. But that's actually what they're doing. And in fact, whenever they're doing a new strength move or a new, um, a new skill, they'll always do it negatively or always do it in reverse or always do it with support, always. Why? It's potentially dangerous and you don't know yet whether you're strong enough or have the actual capacity to exert that enough force in that position. So they just, they just train smarter than we do, but they also do the most extraordinary amount of training. A young female gymnast, for example, at the AIS today will be doing 40 hours of training a week and a full school load on top of that. And they start when they're five or six. Yes. So by the time they get to 16 and you're looking at these superb bodies being able to do these amazing things, they have not lived the same life path as you or I. And so I'm not saying, not saying for a moment that we have to, you know, downregulate our expectations of what we can do. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying you, as an adult, you need to temper your desires against the experience and the state, the condition that your body is in. And if you do that, if you learn to listen to your body, and that's where we brings us back to the stretching stuff again, if you do learn to listen to your body, your body will Quite always tell you. Hmm? Quite the ego. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, look, I've asked, I've asked hundreds of people. I, I, on a workshop, I don't think I did this on your workshop, but I will say at the beginning at some point, I'll say, hands up everyone who's hurt themselves. Hands up. Anyone who's hurt themselves in the pursuit of health. Hands up anyone who's hurt themselves practicing yoga or whatever it is that you've done or do. Almost everyone. Yeah, that's, and I, then I'll say, well, so cast your mind back to the last time you pulled something or hurt something. How did it happen? Did it go something like this? Let's see, side splits, my favorite. Yeah. I, was, I was down in side splits last week. I've got the photograph on YouTube to show it or Instagram or wherever you post your stuff. And so you're working on side splits today. It's now a week later and you get down, but you're about this far off the ground. And you say to yourself, the mind goes, the mind leaves the body momentarily, comes up into the head and thinks, well, I was down last week. I'll just push it a bit harder. And you push a bit harder. And then next thing you know, you've pulled something. Yeah. In the instant of the pulling, your awareness was not in the body that you were forcing. It was in the mind that wanted to get down to the ground again. Why? Because I could do side splits. That's right. Something like that. And it's the same with anyone missing a lift or in strength, it's exactly the same. I, in fact, Olivia and I sometimes watch, we, we used to watch a bit of TV when we lived in Canberra and watching the Olympic lifting is, is great. If you know what you're looking at, you know the instant the man or woman puts his hands around the bar and prepares themselves to lift, you know exactly whether they're going to complete that lift or not. It's there to be seen in their body. Because of the apprehension, the way they 
Well, it, when when they're lifting in the Olympics, they're lifting. They're always doing um, near personal bests or personal bests, actually. So they're just outside their envelope of competence. And when you're just outside that envelope, that's when the risk is highest. Yeah. Now, have you noticed uh, that very few people hurt themselves at those events? I find the, um, I guess, external influences and fear or you know, past trauma, we store that in our body and we spoke about fear and how that um, influences the body when we're stretching. Do we, in a sense, need to be working on, I guess, the emotional side or the mental side of things to get more out of stretching? Do they, do they come together? Are you treating the emotional side when we are stretching? Like, what's the relationship there? Well, there's, you, there are at least seven different major subjects you managed to cover in that. <laughs> oh, <apparently. yeah. laughs> Short question. Um, well, there are just so many things that you've touched on there. Yeah. Look, the, short answer, the short answer is sensations are underneath emotions. The body is talking to us in the language of sensations all the time. The language that the, the sensations, I should say, is the most fundamental language or fun, most fu it is the most fundamental communication the body has. And in fact, the body's language is the language of sensation, what things feel like. Um, emotions, they're a very interesting thing to talk about because our form of medicine separates the mind and the body does it not yeah and and so the question for me at least arises well where are, are the emotions a property of the body or are they a property of the mind now let me give you a little thought experiment or maybe that's just a poorly phrased question and i think it is a poorly phrased question but it's the it, it's indicative of how we carve things up Here's a thought experiment. You're at home with your loved one. You've had a glass of wine this after dinner. Feeling romantic, loving, affectionate. And the phone rings. You walk over to the phone. You carry that feeling of affection and love with you. Pick up the phone. And you become aware, as soon as you hear the person's voice at the end of the phone, you become aware of the hated father-in-law. Now, what does your body do in the instant of being aware that, it, oh, shit, it's him? Your body organises itself into a unique hated father-in-law mode. Unique to you. It's a particular pattern of tension, of holding yourself, um, expression in your face, just everything. That John, you're listening. I love you there. Adore you. Please keep calling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> the reaction. Excellent. But the, here's the thing: is it's so clear, isn't it, with that thought experiment, that the I, I mean, the the reality, let's say, of the hated father-in-law, he's actually in an insane asylum in Reykjavik in Iceland. That's actually, and he cannot get out. He he's locked up forever. But he managed to get hold of the phone, and he rings you. So. An idea, because it's an it's an idea, is it not? The person's not there. The person, the idea of the person is there, and you respond to that. 
That's a very powerful thing, Absolutely. don't you think? So that's, that's one thing. I would, in the context of today's conversation, all you need to know about emotions is this. Emotions start in the body of sensations. If we are not aware of the sensations in our own body, then an, an emotion, which is a, a suite of sensations which the mind has then attached ideas to or concepts to or whatever, and then that then re-affects the body's own sensations that actually causes its own suite of sensations to occur could be painful could be pleasurable could be neither whatever the more aware in relaxed way you are of the sensations in your body the more you become aware when they are organizing themselves to do hated father-in-law mode for example or if anger is a problem for you, you will feel the internal organs and your surface musculature organize itself into anger. And in fact, you cannot be angry if your tummy is soft. Now, I've dealt with many angry people, myself included, who would argue vigorously against that um, assertion. But I assure you from personal experience as someone who used to be angry all the time and who is no longer angry all the time, I can tell you from personal experience, it is not possible to be angry while your tummy is soft. It's just not possible. And so patterns of tension, the emotional baggage that goes with those specific patterns of tension, they're unique to me, they're unique to you. Here's the beauty of learning how to stretch. You become aware of the body as it's moving from one state to another and most people are not and then as you feel yourself organizing yourself into this mode a little thought pops into your mind oh i know where this train goes i'm not getting on today in other words you have introduced a pause i don't think you put it quite like that when you were talking before but that's exactly the idea you introduce a pause, or even even if it's not a deliberate action, if you didn't make a deliberate choice in that instant to introduce a pause, because you're actually in the body as it's changing, if that's your your now your most common mode of being in the world, you see, you feel where it's going, I should say, rather than see, but the mind calculates what the outcome will be, and you say, no thanks that is a gift it's amazingly powerful that's really what this system is about yes hard sell isn't it <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about stretch therapy but how, how long do you have that's right. i think we've ended that in a really <laughs> perfect way um perfect so if way. people want to know more about stretch therapy and how to find you and um, and and live. How how can they find out more about what you do and what you offer? Well, the the easiest way is simply to go to our website. Even though we're remaking the website at the moment, I have written so many things, um, hundreds of articles. I, I have a blog, for example, which quite a well a few people know about. There's 170 unique pieces there. Now, I, my my ex-apprentice challenged me to a 90-day blog challenge that we had to write every day for 90 days. Wow. And some of the most important pieces that actually, that are the thought pieces which explain <clears throat> what's actually underneath the things that we do, those pieces will be found there.
the forum it's the it's the single largest assembly of knowledge on stretching and strengthening and other things on the internet hardly anyone uses it but the fact is it's there and it has tens of thousands of unique pieces on it plus there's the website itself so our website is stretchtherapy.net as you know um you can find things there plus we have a massive presence on vimeo on demand that's our inexpensive pay download channel and we have our most important exercises free on youtube so, so there's, no excuse, there's no excuse for not doing something i can yeah, i can absolutely. say that and uh yeah you do have two amazing books which obviously i have and reference to a lot overcome neck and back pain and stretching and flexibility um and exercises and photographs of how to how to do it as well so if uh, if you're a book lover like me then uh, make yeah. sure you get onto to the books as well so that was kit lachlan i hope you enjoyed that interview as much as i did if you want to find out more about kit and the stretch therapy system then check out stretchtherapy.net there you can find all of his workshops, you can purchase his books, and there's so much more information on there from the forums to articles to his videos as well. So make sure you check him out. Thank you so much for listening in today. It is an honor and I truly appreciate you. If today's podcast has helped you in any way, please leave a review and tell your friends and of course, subscribe. You can also head over to the show notes where you can find all the links mentioned in today's podcast. Have a spectacular day and here's to a world of bodies built better.